Charlie Higson and Friends on Scala Radio. This week with Arabella Weir. Welcome back to Charlie Higson and Friends here on Scala Radio. I'm the Charlie Higson part of that, and my friend this week is Arabella Weir, or as I know her, Dame Arabella Weir. Um, <laughs> you should definitely be sitting in my chair, and then I could just... Um, <laughs> Say what I like and play what I well. I, I am playing what I like. This it it. I, um, hats off to Scala Radio for for giving me this little series. It's enormous, <laughs> enormous fun on a Sunday night to play two hours of some of my favourite music, and share that with music as chosen by um, my different guests. And this week it is the lovely Arabella Weir who uh, I've worked with. Yes, I was saying before that she was Doreen to my uh, Colin Hunt. Uh, although Doreen went, went through a number of name changes. We couldn't ever remember what she was called from one series to the next. <laughs> it was in the 90s, it was before the internet. You couldn't look these things up. Uh, well, it, the internet was around, but not in a way that was very usable. Uh, yeah, she was Doreen, she was Maureen. And when she started, she was Teresa. So, um, but she was always Arabella Weir. Uh, wearing a terrible skirt. And it's funny... I, of course, have the least fun. Well, not of course, but I have had the least fun playing the repressed, you know, virtually monosyllabic characters. But a lot of people think I'm the best at them. Um, <laughs> that they, the things I've done best, that I'm, I'm best playing people like that rather than people who are closer to me, who, as you know, is very voluble. But yes, Doreen with her terrible wig and her dreadful outfits and her big crush on the utterly ghastly Colin but we did have again what we were talking about earlier when we had you know we had such a good time although often it didn't feel like that at the time well the the thing the the the, the performance that I enjoyed doing most with you uh and it is now I think one of my favorite things that I that I that I've ever done was playing the painter John oh yes and, and you played his wife Katie and in a in a double act which is essentially what that is and Yes, you you had the perhaps slightly less rewarding part of the of the straight person there, but it's so important to have that rock uh, on on which to build whatever you're doing. And and I I always loved doing those pieces with you, and you always felt so real, and that situation always felt real. Um, and I always what I loved doing most was when was was when Johnny would kick off each week. For those of you who don't know the the um, the sketch, it, I play a painter called Johnny who who does sort of twee watercolors and he goes out with his wife Katie to the countryside and they do lovely landscapes. But he has the soul of a of a tortured artist. In fact, he has the soul of an insane <laughs> artist, and he is always triggered by the word black and goes absolutely bonkers. And I always always tried to get you to to crack up yeah uh, and I think I only ever managed it once you did manage it once but do you remember the I loved loved playing that character and funny it never occurred to me because uh, for those of you who don't know the characters they were a couple of toffs you know retired toffs doing water you know sharing a hobby and it never occurred to me I was very clear about what I wanted her to look like you know have a massive unkempt bosom in that sort of country <laughs> sort of oh I don't need a bra why would she need a bra for goodness sake I'm not going anywhere nobody cares what I look like and uh, my dad the first time he saw it he said oh, is that your mum <laughs> and I went god dad it never occurred to me um and um 
he said, oh, it's rather worryingly like your mum, but I think that's just because she was one of those hearty, posh women. Uh, but do you remember when we were doing the live show and I was, I think, a bit out of my mind because I just had a baby, my first baby, and we were doing the live show in London and we came out <clears throat> as Johnny and Katie and almost immediately I said black and you looked at me and I remember thinking, oh God, and the audience went berserk, obviously thinking it was planned and me thinking <laughs> that's the whole sketch. And I remember yes. you saved it rather brilliantly in, 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 on the spot. And I hadn't meant to at all in my mind in that sort of, you know, first few weeks of the baby and you're breastfeeding and exhausted and everything thought, no, I'm definitely not supposed to have said black at the top yeah. of the <laughs> That's a way to sabotage the entire <laughs> sketch. But no, I mean, we, 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 we have had huge fun over the years and it's yeah. lovely to have you on tonight sharing some music. And I'm going to play um, one of my tracks now, Dido and Aeneas from the opera Dido and Aeneas, Dido's Lament. <laughs> Dido's Lament from Dido and Aeneas, a uh, lovely piece of music. You're listening to Scala Radio with me, Charlie Higson, and my guest this week, Arabella Weir, who has picked the next track. Good Morning from Singing in the Rain, sung by Gene Kelly, Debbie Reynolds and Donald O'Connor. You chose that as a piece that, 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 that really gets you going, a nice rousing piece of music. Yes, I do. I don't love musicals sort of across the board, and I don't think, I can't remember the last time I went to, a, as it were, a contemporary musical, but, but I you've, absolutely you've... love the 40s and 50s musicals. Right, but you have and been in a musical, haven't you? Is it just I've been one in a few of the musicals? A few, because you did yes. uh, Calendar Girls. What I did Calendar Girls, which I don't know whether they'd call a music or a play with music, but I've been, yeah, when I was a sort of jobbing actress, I was in quite a few musicals because, as you know, Charlie, I can sing. You, well, you've uh, already demonstrated your singing. Oh, yes, earlier. but that was, I was waiting to fraggle, taggle, gypsies. Oh, I'll never forget <laughs> the first time I played that to my kids because I always play it at Christmas because I don't know why, but I always play Alfred Dell at Christmas. And my sort of then eight year old son went, that's a man. <laughs> um, because of course he's um uh, what is it uh, what do they call he's it counter tenor uh, or something counter tenor yes yeah. um but um uh yes i have been in a few musicals but that it's the unique talent that people singing and dancing have and with the routines that you know have been so finely i mean they're athletes it's so finely worked out and yet made to look so unbelievably effortless and joyful and rousing. And I just remember seeing Singing in the Rain for the first time and, you know, and I can only have been, I don't know, a teenager, not mm. even, and just being so in love with that whole, like on the town, Singing in the Rain, all that era of musicals. You, and you've never been in a, in, a, in a revival of any of those old classic musicals? Well, I won't Cold be. Uh, I'll never have made the Debbie Reynolds role. So I'm probably shaping up to be the old hag in something, aren't I? Um, <laughs> you uh, could be like the, the rich old dowager type. There's oh, a lot of them only, in musicals. If only. <laughs> but yes, no, you have demonstrated our, our singing voice. And um, obviously you have a great speaking voice. And 
you're able to do lots of different voices. Do you think partly that has come from the fact that you did move around a lot and you had to sort of cope in these different situations and use a different voice for, for different, in different I, contexts? Do you know what? I often think about this and I think a few things were at play. Um, so my father, as you know, because you knew him, had a what would have appeared like an English upper class accent. But when you went back to Scotland, his whole family spoke like that. So your granny was saying, no, what? So that was a kind of odd thing going on. And then everybody in our family had Scottish accents. But then my mother and father had posh English accents. But then I think something else was at play was the first two schools I went to, we spoke French, not English. So mm. I learned to have a kind of ear for two languages, obviously. And then I think the other thing that happened, I just remember mimicking people all along, you know, just people in our family and stuff. And I think I just learned um, that I could make people laugh if I imitated, if I mimicked other people. So it probably came out of mimicry first and foremost, rather than any particular skill. But you, but you have put those skills to, to great use um, as a voiceover artist. Well, um, which uh, is a, which is a great sideline for actors to have. Oh man, you when you can get into it. that, I mean that's gravy all the way if uh, you can and, get into it. And of course, people people are more familiar with that world through um, Toast of London with the great Matt Berry. Um, and I wonder if you've had any any particular sort of Clem Fandango moments. I've had hundreds of Clem Fandango moments. And for the listeners who aren't aware of it, what it is is when you, the ad execs will all come and they naturally enough, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but you know, you're doing a 30, sometimes 20 second ad for a local newspaper, a washing machine, a new can of soda, but they, you know, it might as well be somebody's found a cure for cancer because of course a lot of money is being spent in a very short space of time, which is of course what. And, and all those people in the room feel they have to justify their job and their existence Absolutely. and their and their presence in the room. How many ad execs does it take to get, you know, and my favorite one was when I was advertising a well-known now free London newspaper um, and uh, it was, but it was in the days when it cost money. And instead of 50p, I think they, it was going to be this new promotion. It was going to be 30p. And I had to end this week, the blah is only 30p. Uh, get your copy this Friday. And they went, yeah, no, that's great. Arabella. Could you make the 30, completely serious. Could you make the 30p sound a bit more sexy? And you oh. think that if you repeat that and go, sorry, um, what's his name? Was did you say you wanted me to sound make the thirty p sound more sexy? He goes, yeah. And so you go, absolutely, totally know what you mean. Got it. And this week the blah is only thirty p. And they go, yeah, that's it. Thanks very much. And you think, oh my god, that is a grown man's job. <laughs> um, but then you get the check and you go, I'll do whatever you like. Well, in that case, um, perhaps we could get you to record. Um, some trails for this show. Absolutely, and, and I will, I will, I will be your Clem Fandango for this. Okay. Um, so here's your, here's here's the script, and um, okay, yeah, over to you. So, um, Arabella. Yeah. Okay, you all ready? Yeah, ready when you are. And off you go. In a world where radio is bland and predictable, there is one station where passion shines through. Scala Radio. Uh, could we, sorry, you're going to have to do it a bit quicker. It's oh, quite okay, a short slot, but keep okay. all that lovely slow, slowness in it. Okay. Keep it slow, but go faster. Yeah, yes. go ahead. 
In a world where radio is bland and predictable, there is one station where passion shines through, Scala Radio. And Could now, you make, sorry, Arabella, yeah. sorry. Could, I, Could yeah. you make the Scala Radio a bit sexier? Absolutely, yes, no, totally understand what you mean. In a world where radio is bland and predictable, there is one station where passion shines through, Scala Radio. Ooh, and now yes. there is, oh no, that's good, yeah, but don't, please, yeah, thank you. Uh, I've got the cans on. And now there is a show which stimulates your senses and awakens your deeply buried passions for classical music. Charlie Hickson and Friends. That was uh, great, we've got move that Move over, Joanna Lumley. Yes. Um, shall, shall I keep going, Clem? Yeah, if you'd like to do the next one, keep all that lovely energy. Faster but slower, yeah? Yeah. Sexier but less sexy. Yeah, just move Every... it sideways a little, yeah? Yeah. Every surprise is the one they always used oh, to make yeah. me want to run through and punch <laughs> them in the face. Arabella, if you could just like go off script now and surprise us. And in my worst moods, I would go, no, I wasn't paid to write the fucking ad. Thank you very much. Uh, but, could, you know, just just go off script, just improvise now. What alone in a room with cans on and seven <laughs> people sitting outside. Yeah, sure. OK, I'm ready. Are you ready? Every Sunday night, Charlie and his talented and vastly underpaid guests bring you music that will change your life forever. This week, you can hear his favourite guest and very, very dearest, dearest friend, me, Arabella Weir. Yeah, you did go slightly off script there. Um, yeah, I just you asked me to improvise and yeah, I am 350 yeah. quid an hour, so I'll do what I like, thanks. Yeah, I, I okay. preferred the version where you said uh, the one about the genius who is Charlie oh, okay. Hickson. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I've only done a few um, voiceovers over the years. I've always wanted to do more, but I don't have one of those deep, rich, manly voices. Whenever now you're more I, Charlie Drake, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I get to do the odd... I, I am, I get to do the odd sort of comedy one if it's a sort of character piece. But whenever I answer the phone um, to someone who doesn't know me, they'll say, oh, hello, Mrs Higson. Um so this is me, Mrs. Charlie Higson, here on Scala Radio uh, with Charlie Higson and friends with my very dear friend, Arabella Weir. And let's have some more music. Porca miseria, mi. Charlie, non è che non parli italiano. Devi capire come si dice Don Giovanni. Certo, almeno. Thank you very much, Arabella Weir there, who's... who's uh... Just, you're just showing off now yeah, with, the, with, your, uh, with your mastery of, of languages and, <laughs> and the voice. Uh, well, we were talking there about whether you could make the words 30p sexy. Which brings me on to my next piece of music because I asked you, Arabella, to choose what you thought was the sexiest piece of music. You've gone for something slightly unexpected. So what was that, Arabella? That was Il Mio Tesoro Intanto, the aria from Don Giovanni, sung by Don, not, he sings it to Donna Elvira, and his name is Don, can't remember. Giovanni. No, Don Giovanni doesn't sing that. Don oh. Giovanni is a ne'er-do-well. That is the, in inverted commas, good guy in Don Giovanni, which is all oh. about a man, you know, who spreads his love. And uh, Il Mio Tesoro Intanto, my most treasured love in of all. And he is saying her father's just been killed. And he's saying by Don Giovanni because her father was defending his her honor. And he sings that to her saying, I, and it's an absolutely beautiful aria. But he is saying to her, I will protect you and take care of you forever. And is that what you've always wanted a man to sing to you? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, 
Well, you've no, chosen I'm it as a, as a, as a... Attractive. I, well, I mean, I, my bad self would be more attracted to the Don Giovanni, but that yes. is just such an exquisite piece of music. And it's all the, I don't know, you know, the ups and downs. Uh, the ups and does. downs, that's the technical that's term. That's the, the technical term. Yes. Well, it's the coloratura, actually. Yes. And um, it is. No, it is a, it is a, a beautiful piece of music. Um, uh, obviously, another piece by, by Mozart. Yeah. I mean, we were talking before about how Mozart is not, you know, sort of romantically expansive. Uh, and, and it's interesting, obviously, because you know the context of that song and what it means. And that's what you're responding to. It's interesting because most of the music you've chosen has been quite sort of, it has has that sort of streak of Scottish Puritanism about it. It's not apart that, from Don It's Giovanni. not the sort of big, lush, sweeping no. rings and... Um, Oh, no, the very idea. What would you want in a big piece? Lush. Come on. I remember <laughs> saying to my, my Dunfermline granny, who wasn't very nice, Granny, I love chocolate. And she went, well, chocolate doesn't love you. <laughs> and, and I remember thinking, and I was about seven and tubby. And I, of course, I now know what she was meaning now. But I was thinking, what does she mean? Chocolate doesn't love me. Mm. Uh, is it supposed to? Um, but yes, yeah, so expansive, lovely you know, carried away music. No, you wouldn't be wanting that. Well, well, this, well, well. I, I'm going to counter your your piece of opera with my own piece of opera. Um, it's a piece I've played here before on Scarlet Radio, uh, which for me, this is my chocolate. This for me is <laughs> is the sexiest piece of music, and I don't know what it says about me. It is um, uh, from Tristan and Isolde. Ah. It's, the, it's the track that Isolde sings right at the end of the opera when she's essentially dying. She's dying of of of, of love and everything else. Uh, but also the, this piece, it is it is it is quite orgasmic. Uh, it is it does seem to me to be a depiction of sex. Um, and it is. I think Le we're Petit... getting into what uh, the kids call an overshare territory. Yes. Well, it's yeah. Le Petit Moor, although uh, in yeah, this case you. it's it's La Grande Moor. Bridget Nielsen singing uh, Liebes, the Liebestod from Tristan and Isolde. Sorry, that yeah. was Bridget Nielsen who was married to Sylvester Stallone singing that? Yeah. Yeah, she, oh, I didn't know. You didn't know, know did you, that she, no. she, she's also a... a I thought you said no, Bridget that, Nielsen. No, it, well, it's Bur, it's Birgit. Oh. Birgit Nielsen. Right. That's Birgit Nielsen. Uh, yes, that was uh, Birgit Nielsen singing the, the, the final... Love Death Aria from uh, Tristan and Isolde, uh, which was my choice as what I feel is a very sexy piece of music. Um, I am here on Scala Radio with my little mini series for April, Charlie Higson and Friends. And my special guest is my old friend and acting partner, Arabella Weir. And we've been talking about all sorts of things we've talked about acting, but you are also. Um, you're also a writer. You had huge success with your first book, Does My Bum Look Big in This? And you've gone on to write many books since for adults and for, for young adults, some factual, some fictional. Mm -hmm. um, now, I know I've got a lot of friends like you who are writers, and many of them have said that they couldn't really concentrate and write anything uh, of a major nature during lockdown. I, I've managed to... Towards the end of lockdown, I, I, I said to myself, I'm, I'm going to write a book. I've got an idea. Let's just do it. And I've, I've really enjoyed doing that. Um, have you 
have you been working on anything or thinking of something to work I on? have managed to be spectacularly unproductive because I think what happened to me was instead of, you know, I've always been driven by competitiveness, uh, obviously a need to earn money um, and, you know, having ideas and wanting to share them. But the kind of the fact that the whole world had to down tools made me go, oh, thank God, I can, I can stop now. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to worry about she's doing what? Who got what publishing yeah. deal? Well, uh, I think a lot of people had that, that it was a, a huge, you know, you that foot is taken off your head. That's been yeah. crushing you down thinking, do this, do this, do this. You've got to do this. And. Oh, there was a sense of relief for a lot of people. And and people did react to that in some ways of thinking, well, I'm not going to mess that up by trying to put the pressure back on with something. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've been at this game for over 40 years now. Um, and I just didn't feel any kind of, it's, well, we were very lucky. I mean, I already had earned enough money to not be sort of desperate in the way that it must have been for a lot of people. Yes, but also I mean, obviously, the, yeah. vast number of people, it was an absolute nightmare. But then also on those those quite few months in the summer um, where it was so warm, I just loved doing the gardening. The thing I did mind was literally I did, I was a third of the way into my first ever solo show does my mum loom big in this that's right um, you were you were halfway through a tour weren't you no a third of the way to it. and then way. i remember yeah. coming out on the stage at southampton and saying to my um i don't know what you'd call her she we go everywhere together you know stage manager driver friend i said to her i bet we get cancelled after this because of everyone was starting and i'd sold mm. out that night and there was about 500 seats and a about a third of the audience didn't turn up and mm. this is before lockdown and then but the show is supposed to it, well is going to recommence in the autumn um oh brilliant because so, i i managed to see it before you were taking off and it is a really funny and and very moving show because it is you talking about your mother it's about mother my mother's my mother's my mother and mothering and yeah. uh how before you become a parent you are leisurely looking at how incredibly awful your own parents are and then you become a parent and realize what a spectacularly and uniquely difficult job it is <laughs> so um yes so that's I'm... what the show's about and it goes back on tour in i think in july mm. uh, but you can go to arabellaware.co.uk to find the dates <laughs> so i'm i'm taking it that you haven't written a new novel or um History no, I, do you know what? Just as lockdown ends, in my usual perverse way, I've just thought, oh, maybe I'll start writing something now. Um, mm. I've started to think about it. But I, Charlie, unlike you, and I've always admired this about you, for me, um, being alone in a room with a computer is pretty sort of torturous. So, oh, you know, bliss. I like writing with people and I like talking. I know, but for you, it's a, it's a happy place. And for me, yes. it's, it's homework. It's torture. Mm. Well, I, um, I am in a weird position. I've actually got a book coming out at the end of April. Uh, it's a new children's book called Worst Holiday Ever. Um, I, re I, I finished it about two years ago. It was meant to be out last May, but because we were all in lockdown, yeah. there were no, and the kids weren't at school, um, bookshops weren't open publishers were finding that they were if they were publishing new particularly kids books because you had no access to the schools to tell the kids about this no quite they were just not working so it was pushed put back by a whole year so i'm now suddenly thinking 
my God, I've got a book coming out. You know, I, uh, I am a writer. It's, it's a weird position. But th that talking about that, that release of pressure that, that, that quite a lot of people did experience in, in lockdown, it reminded me of an anecdote you told me. Because um, you, you also, um, one of your other great skills is, is, is you're one of our top landladies. Um, you've had, and you've had some, some, some very interesting lodgers over the years, including a young David Tennant before he was famous, a young actor oh, yeah. who you sort of slightly took him under your wing, didn't you? And you had him there in your house and, and you've remained a great friend with him ever since. And I remember at the height of kind of David Tennant mania, he was doing, was it Hamlet he was doing when yeah. he broke his leg? No, he, he said, broke it. He, well, he had to have a, something went wrong with his back, not his right, leg. Right, his yeah. back. And I remember you'd been to visit him in hospital. Um, because the run had only just started, it'd been incredibly That's successful right, yeah. and sold out. And I said, oh, he must be devastated. And you said. What did I say? That he was. The, you said, no, quite the opposite. He said, he's, it's, he said it's absolute bliss that suddenly he's, he hasn't got all this pressure. He hasn't got to be doing his stuff. He is forced to just lie there in bed. Oh, yes. Well, of course, he's he being a nice uh, son of a minister. Uh, from Paisley, he has an incredibly effective and working very hard inner self going, no, could do better. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so suddenly flat on his back and literally disabled in every sense of, you know, not able to work. He was released from all the pressure. But of course, yeah, but he'd already nailed all the good reviews because he wasn't. <laughs> he was a spectacular Hamlet. Well, that's the perfect thing, isn't it? Yeah, get all great reviews, do a run for about a week and then. Spend no, he, six weeks unlike <laughs> me, he is a real hard worker and he really wanted to be in the show. But I went I went. That is literally my idea of heaven. Open in a play, get all the great reviews. Don't be in the play again. Go back in for the last week. <laughs> And he was horrified, but um, yeah, no, that, that, that was true about him, poor thing. He, yes, he'd slipped a disc. You're listening to Charlie Hickson and Friends here on Scala Radio. I'm Charlie Hickson and my friend is Arabella Weir and we're sharing some music. And I'd like to play a track now. It's um, a piece I've only started listening to recently. I, I always thought I didn't really like Brahms, Schubert, Schumann, some of the more in my mind, I always thought that slightly more difficult to German composers, but I've been listening to this a lot recently and I've, I've, I've really fallen in love with it. Um, it's from Brahms, Symphony Number no. 3. It's the uh, Poco Allegretto. That was the Poco Allegretto from Brahms Symphony Number no. 3. I'm Charlie Higson, and I've been joined by one of my friends who this week is Arabella Weir. We've got just a couple more music choices each to bring you, including a piece of music that Arabella just can't stop singing, the theme music from Halloween, which was also written by uh, John Carpenter, who also directed the, the film. Um, and now he's probably more popular at the moment for, for doing his, his music, and he does lots of concerts with his... Uh, music from his, his films and other pieces of music that he's written that wasn't necessarily in a film. Uh, a great film uh, came out um, last year. It's a Brazilian film called Bacarau. It's a, it's a really amazing film. And 
for that, they actually used one of John Carpenter's pieces of music that he'd written and hadn't been used in another film. So try and check that, that out if you can. Now, that piece of music was chosen by Arabella Weir. And when I said going into the ad break that Arabella had a piece of music, she just could not stop singing. We were thinking perhaps it might be another folk song from Scotland. But no, it was. You've said that since you started thinking about this programme, you thought, oh, I'd quite like to play that. And, and you've been frightened ever since. <laughs> the that in terms of sort of the effect music has on one and you know how you articulate it that's probably yes I would say definitely the one piece of music that was in tandem that was so brilliantly and aptly written for that film that was also incredibly terrifying because of course anybody under about I don't know 45 you know they're all used to slasher movies and stuff but that was such an unbelievably scary film and the score so kind of brilliantly themed your terror. So literally, as I was like, oh my God, it's so scary, even scarier than the Jaws music. Because at least, you know, if you're not in the sea, you're not scared of sharks, but at any moment, if I was alone in my house at night and I heard, I'd be absolutely terrified. No, I mean, it is an amazing piece of music. And I remember going to see the film when it came out and and, and the music starts, you just think, oh yeah, this is going to be good. I mean, the the interesting thing that looking at that film now is that there's virtually no blood in it there's no, virtually no there's no it's all no slashing as it were no it's and, so so brilliant it's all it, anticipation yeah and the reason it worked is because he was a brilliant director and you know he brought a level of class to to that kind of yeah film that, that we hadn't seen before i'd just like to counter your choice of john carpenter film music with another piece of of, of his film music which again i remember going to see the film when it came out and the music in it is just stunning and works so well for the film. It is an absolutely brilliant film. It still stands up well today. Assault on Precinct 13, which is- I knew you were gonna say that, so brilliant. Decommissioned police station. No, there's a few coppers in there with some criminals they're trying to transport. Nobody really knows they're there. It's all supposed to have been shut down and they get under siege by this really, really nasty gang who are all using silenced weapons so nobody can hear the fact that they're shooting this place up and this music similar to the halloween music just kind of repeats through the film you know i think he was probably slightly influenced by tubular bells the the way that that was used in the exorcist that that way of that repeating rhythm that that sort of get the worms its way inside your head and while we're talking about film music uh don't forget um every saturday Mark Kermode's film music show. Uh, If you didn't hear it yesterday, you can hear it again by using the Scala Radio app or listening online at scalaradio.co.uk. And we've talked, and I've talked to my other guests about this a lot, about, you know, people thinking they don't like classical music, your kids thinking they don't listen to it, where in fact they're listening to it all the time. Mm. films and television it's all around them but they just don't think of it as that um and, and one of the people who was so fantastic at using classical music in his films was of course stanley kubrick um you know you can't listen to also sprach zarathustra without thinking of spaceships these days um mm-hmm. and you know he, he he used classical music so incredibly well and particularly in his film Clockwork Orange, where they used a lot of um, electronic versions of of classical music. But in the book and in the film, the character of Alex 
is obsessed with Beethoven. And um, when would you have seen that film, Arabella? Because you chose this music. I, that, because of, you know, being sort of, uh, I'll go as far as say indoctrinated that classical music was the finest thing for your brain and high minded and everything. That was the first time. So I'd have been 13, I think. And obviously not supposed to be in the cinema seeing that film. But, but, but would you, but it, were you, would you, did you see it in France when you were in France? No, no, no. I because saw you it in Britain. see it in Britain. No, I don't know why, but I saw... Maybe I did see it in France, but I thought I saw it in Britain and I remember thinking how amazingly brave it was to subvert, you know, high-minded classical music. It, it just struck me uh, as so daring and novel because, of course, the thing that stuck in my brain was he, there's a terribly violent scene and he's singing a bit of Beethoven's Ninth. I'm sure... I. Maybe I saw it in Britain illegally with it, well, filmmakers. Or, or it could have been, I think there were some film clubs that were able to do it because, I mean, it was Stanley Kubrick himself who withdrew it because it was having the wrong effect on people. Well, because skinhead gangs were then, you know, yes. adopted, adopted. But yes, no, it's a really interesting, well. it's a really interesting point that this kind of hooligan, yeah, he loves Beethoven. And uh, it's not just for, not just for posh, posh people as we were talking no, about. No, quite. Um, and, and, and obviously the, the, the Beethoven Symphony Number no. 9 is used um, in the film. They use very early um, electronic versions um, where electronic music was, wasn't really a thing. And Walter Carlos redid all the Beethoven. But let's hear um, Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 9, which sadly is our last piece of music tonight. It's been fantastic chatting to you Arabella and uh, listening to your music I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have I've enjoyed it a great deal Charlie because you've probably said more words in the hour and a half that we've been talking than you've ever said in any conversation we've ever had so it's very very nice indeed for this platform to get us to chat <laughs> And that was a choice of my guest this week on Charlie Higsonet and Friends, Arabella Weir. Uh, my guest next week will be the Northeast's top light entertainer. It's Vic Reeves. <laughs> This episode of Charlie Higson and Friends featured a clip of Dido's Lament from Dido and Aeneas, performed by the Armonico Consort and taken from an album released on Signum Records, available to buy at signumrecords.com. That was followed by a clip from the third movement of Brahms' Symphony No. 3, conducted by Vladimir Zhurovsky, and then a clip from the second movement of Beethoven's Symphony No. 9, conducted by Klaus Tenstedt. Both were taken from recordings made by the London Philharmonic Orchestra and available to buy at lpo.org.uk. The Charlie Higson and Friends podcasts were originally broadcast as a series on Scala Radio in April 2021. 
Scala Radio is a classical music and entertainment station home to Angelica Bell, Simon Mayo, Mark Kermode, Penny Smith and me, Charles Nove. Why not join me for breakfast weekday mornings between 7 and 10? It would be grand to have you. Scala Radio broadcasts across the UK on DAB Digital Radio, Smart Speaker, Sky TV Channel 0216, the Scala Radio app, and online at scalaradio.co.uk.